Welcome to Rhythm, Routine, and Reverence, the podcast that inspires parents and caregivers to craft and create a nourishing and nurturing home that supports the entire family, head, heart, and hands. Welcome to Rhythm, Routine, and Reverence. Today, I spoke to Ava Maria Smith, a mother, artist, and mentor, and an expert when it comes to the art of cozy living. Her work focuses on helping mothers to slow down, simplify, and soften into this world in order to live from a place of gratefulness and full of joy to be alive. She explores this in her writing of poetry and prose, her motherhood photography, as well as being a retreat facilitator and holistic mentor. Ava shares her work via Substack. Um, she has a Substack newsletter called Milk, and you can find that at avamariasmith.substack.com, and she spells Ava with an E, so E-V-A. Her podcast, Milk and Coffee, is so beautiful. It's calming and grounding, and I love listening to it while I'm meal prepping, and you can find that on Apple and Spotify. And she also has a memoir, which she wrote, called Milk and Coffee Years available on her website at avamariasmith.com. Right now, if you head to avamariasmith.com or .substack.com, you can sign up to get a digital advent calendar full of poetry, recipes, song, and heart to bring glimmers of hope to the darker days. Uh, It sounds like a beautiful offering for everyone, so I'd encourage you to go and check that out. And I hope you enjoy today's episode. Hey, before you dig into today's episode, I would be remiss if I didn't mention that my newest course, Winter in the Home, is officially open for enrollment. This is the final season to complete my seasonal system series, and it's one of my favorites. Winter is a time to slow down, embrace the darkness, and to turn towards our inner light. But it can also be the most demanding of our time, especially for those who celebrate holidays in the month of December. My courses are designed to help you clarify and set intentions for yourself and your family this season, and to create practical and tangible plans so that your rhythms, routines, and rituals align with your vision and values. You're welcome to use the coupon code PODCAST15 P-O-D-C-A-S-T-1-5 for 15% off of any of my courses. Head to store.meganrosewilson.com to learn more, and I'll put that in the show notes. And to start bringing more warmth, connection, and intention into your home this season. Welcome to Rhythm, Routine, and Reverence, Ava. I'm so glad you're here. I was wondering if you can start by introducing yourself and your work and what you're bringing into the world and maybe a little bit about how you came to your work as well. Yes, absolutely. Hi, Megan. Thanks for having me. So I'm Ava. I'm a mother of three. I have a daughter named Smella. She's eight. My son, Winter, is six. And my son, Village, just turned two the other week. I was born and grew up in the south of Germany, but I'm currently living with my husband in Oklahoma City. I like to call myself an artist, mother, mother artist, trying to acknowledge that, yes, mothering is art, and yet I also create like a lot of art in the more traditional sense. 
I started out as a photographer and I still practice that, although in a much more smaller way, I focus mainly just on motherhood photography these days. And I'm also a, a certified postpartum doula, but I would say like the, the heart of what I do right now is my writing practice. In 2022, I self-published a book called Milk and Coffee, and I, I also have my own podcast. It's also called uh, Milk and Coffee. And together with my friend and business partner, Rachel, I host motherhood retreats called The Pause. I love words. I love reading. I love writing. And I love sharing conversations over a cup of coffee. And I'm also really big into kind of finding strength in nature, like the forest, the pines, the moss, the sea. I love all of it. Now, when it comes to um, slow living, I would say it's not so much something that I have discovered in my adult life, but it is really at the at the core of me. I grew up in a very slow, seasonal, intentional, truly like a safe and beautiful way. And after becoming a mother myself, I realized that I, that's really what I want to refocus on, like these, these familiar treasures of, of childhood that can get me through the hard bits. And so eventually I just got really passionate about, about sharing that with others as well. Mm, yeah, that's beautiful. I grew up with a very different childhood <laughs> where it was like a full kind of stereotypical 80s childhood with tons of media and like a lot of busyness and just always doing, doing, doing. And so when I came across this concept of rhythm through my children's Waldorf schools, mm -hmm. it just like spoke to my soul and really it, it's it's informed ever, well, my work for the past 15-ish years because it's so soothing to go back to those, you call them like older ways, but really they're not that that old. They weren't that long ago. It's just like a few generations ago that we lived a little, like, well, a lot slower and more in connection with like what's happening in the outside world and in nature. So yeah, diff totally different childhood, but <laughs> was drawn to the same concept. Well, I'm I'm actually very excited that you know you found Waldorf, and that is actually becoming a more popular way to educate our children here in the states. Mm -hmm. I feel like growing up in Germany, it was kind of always around in a way that I didn't even notice. It was just yeah, there were Waldorf schools, but I think a lot of the philosophy is just really still deeply ingrained in just the culture. Mm. So I, I didn't quite realize that that was, you know, almost like a lack when I, when I moved to the United States, but yeah, I, I have my kids in a wall of program here as well. Mm. And I know I've seen you have written a little bit here and there about this concept of Huga. Is that how I pronounce it? So go, go <laughs> um, ahead and correct me. <laughs> <laughs> it's Huga. Huga. Very good. <laughs> so, and if listeners I'm sure you you recognize it, but it's written H-Y-G-G-E. And I was wondering if you can explain a little bit more about what Huge means to you and also how mothers can maybe foster more of it in their lives. Because, uh, I mean, I think you'll explain in some sense, it's very similar to this concept of comfort. And I think mothers more than 
many people need this sense of like comfort and safety. So yeah, if you could explain a little bit more about it, I'd love to hear your perspective. So hygge is the Danish term for sort of the art of cozy living. Now, I am not Danish, I'm German, but I think a lot of it is also ingrained in German culture, maybe not quite as much, but I'm just a big Scandi lover. I've traveled in Scandinavia quite a bit. And so it's just something that I've I've always loved writing and telling about. I, I say I say that Hugo is sort of the term for the art of of living cozily because it's not just a word, but it's truly like embodied, like it's a way of being. Mm-hmm. And in in, da- in the Danish language, it's actually a noun and a word, and it is it is a feeling, but it's really a mindset beyond anything. Hugo is is feeling warm and safe and comforted it is to an of gratitude and contentment it's a sort of you know sinking deep into presence and so it's it's about places but it's also about people and all the things that affirm us that make us feel really whole you know i think we could spend hours talking about how mothers can foster more huge in their daily lives but i just kind of want to start with this i think the biggest part of huge is just noticing to to take note of the things that give you a sense of hygge already in your life right now, right? I think here in the Western world, we're, we're seekers. We're always looking for something. But I, I would like to invite mothers to just notice where already their life is quite hygge-league, right? Whether that's lighting a candle, having a pot of tea ready, cozing up with a soft blanket to read a book or to take a hot bath or just really looking outside your kitchen window and watching the seasons turn. Simply take note of what it is that gives you that that cozy feeling and then do more of that. Um, the, the other part is to more actively invite Hugo in. And I think the best way to do that is by inviting in the people and the, the humans around us that we want to spend our precious time with and to set honest and gentle and firm boundaries though you know around our time because you know our time is is finite and so I think the most important thing we can do is just have a an honest look within and ask ourselves how do we actually want to spend this time and just do do more of that so I think Hugo and motherhood go so beautifully hand in hand because our children already have an innate sense for these small things. So I think rather than having, you know, setting time aside to be Hugo-ly, it's something that is more like the undercurrent of motherhood or a philosophy for our homes. I'm, I'm always sharing out loud with my kids when I find something that strikes me as particularly Hugo-ly. And I, I talk about it so often. I think it makes it makes them feel loved as well to point out the, the beauty and the coziness of our days in our home. You know, even if it's just something like, oh, I just love how this candle flickers right now. Right. Think, I mean, I, I think these things all the time, but once I started saying that, it's become a family culture. And they now actually will go around and they they'll point it out as well. And I think, yeah, I think kids are just are just naturally very, very hygge-leak. I think, you know, sometimes our to- toddlers will like walk around the corner with a big fuzzy blanket 
And, you know, the first thing your motherhood brain might think, oh my God, they're wiping the floor with this beautiful blanket. But really what they're doing, they're trying to be healing, right? They're trying to find the sense of comfort and making themselves like a cozy spot. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's so much there. I recently was reading a book about Huga and one of the newer concepts to me that I hadn't really considered was that sense of community and how that brings this real sense of warmth. And it's something I've been contemplating uh, recently on how, because we live on a, a farm about 45 minutes from most of the other families at my children's school and our, our community connection. And we we do have people over from time to time, but it's not like a regular occurrence where we're spending a, a lot of time in community. And I'm also a real introvert, so <laughs> too much uh, socialization can be draining for me, but there is this dance. And so I've been trying to think of little creative ways to create a, a more kind of cozy, warming sense of community through the winter months, especially. Yeah. And noticing is such a beautiful idea because like noticing out loud, because it is that modeling for our children. And, and I think that also models like this sense of gratitude for the moment in like that, that beauty and that coziness in the moment, which is so important for them. I think when we we don't notice it out loud, when they're older, they might come back at some point and realize like, oh, my house felt really cozy. Like, I wonder why. And they start considering it, but it's not in their consciousness quite so much if, uh, as as when if we we verbalize it and bring it to them, I think they would be more aware of creating this sense of like huga for themselves. And I imagine I have two teenagers, so I'm already starting to think about them in university or just living outside of the home. And, and it's for me, like, I feel like it's a self care tool in a way to create this um, sense of like warmth and safety and coziness within the home. It's like the home is the sanctuary. So I hope that my teenagers are getting enough of these lessons and I'm saying things explicitly and also just modeling things implicitly enough that they bring that into their own lives as they start journeying, journeying outward. Um, Oh, I absolutely, I absolutely think, I absolutely think they will. That's the beauty. I think about that age, you know, that you can't have those conversations with them. Not everything has to happen through modeling. And, and then when you think about what everything you just said too, it will be so interesting to see how that ripples through their life, not just in the sense of, well, I guess, so, you know, you have that gratitude piece, but then what does that create, right? So then hopefully they won't have that scarcity mindset. They may not fall into, you know, some of the financial traps that we see people around us fall into, right? We, I, I'm really curious to see how the sense of Hugo in the home can actually be such an antidote to sort of this crazy, mad post-capitalism that we live in. And, you know, it's just have like a, a wider effect and also for their relationships, not only friendships, but also potentially, you know, for their romantic relationships and what they, what they expect. And that warmth is not necessarily shown through objects, but rather with time spent and atmosphere created. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It will be really interesting to see how, how they go out into the world. I'm getting little glimmers of it now. And home is one of those central themes that you talk about and is 
really, I feel like this concept of home is the heart of like the slow living movement. When we see influencers and different creators and artists on Instagram talking about slow living, it's often like centered within the home. What does home mean to you? And can you maybe give a few, I've, I've listened to your podcast and I love it because you give these tangible tips about how to create like a warm, nurturing space for not only for your children, but also for yourself in the home. Yeah, home. You know, it's interesting because I feel like even just this last year, the topic is becoming more and more the, it's taking the center stage in my work quite a bit. And I've been wondering why that is. And even just this morning, I was actually writing on that. And I think part of it has to do with the fact that I have emigrated to the U.S. and that I am a military spouse. And so we move quite a bit. And I think this exploration of home has just kind of kind of been part of that. But yeah, what what is home? I actually just recently wrote a poem and it goes like this. Home is a place, longing. Warmth of skin, time, a word. It is in my bones. It is my bones, hearth of the heart. And, you know, my, my physical home is the first place my children root themselves in after leaving my own body. And I think that's where this urgency comes from to me to make it as warm as the cradle that was my womb, right? The cocoon. Where, where their lives began and home as like the place where love and sustenance flow freely. I truly believe that our homes go beyond their aesthetics. And again, right, that's an antidote of what we see online daily and that our homes are sort of like journals that hold the history of us, the, the evolution of our family and, and really the stories of our families. And so in that sense, I think, our homes are also this, these lived-in manifestations of what kind of life we want to live. So home is truly personal. And home as like this feeling of home is something that is surely informed by our memories, our first homes, and then also maybe our last homes, the homes we encountered in our travels and the experiences in the relationships. You have this this part of different influence, and I think that's where we draw our inspiration from when it comes to our own homes. I think as we build our homes as mothers, it is important to keep these feelings really, really close and to project these emotions into our four walls through the object. So I guess what I'm trying to say is, you know, rather than just going out and buying the latest trends and just buying beautiful furniture, I think at the heart should be what is the emotion I want to create, what is important to me, and then seeing, okay, which are the objects or or even the layouts that speak to those emotions. For example, I I can say that mushrooms are something that is like a heart glimmer from my own childhood. It it represents the smell of the forest and it what I remember watching my parents, you know, come home. And spending hours just cleaning mushrooms and then we would eat them together around the table and so on. So how I translate this feeling of home is that I have a lot of things in my home that are sort of the colors and shapes of mushrooms. 
I have this really modern Scandinavian mushroom lamp, for example, as a disc lamp. My boys have this beautiful wall hanging in their room that has embroidered mushrooms on it and, and speak to that foresty vibe. But then also just the hues, like I have a lot of these beige brown hues of mushrooms all over my home. And, you know, some people could say, well, you know, that's just because it's trendy and you're just norm core. But <laughs> I really think it's just that that earthiness that I really connect to that that made me bring in these, these, these colors in particular. And I actually just realized that I have this big art piece above my mantle in the living room. And it's a very modern piece. And it just kind of has these, these shapes. But when I really look closely, I realized that it resembles the gills of a mushroom. I hadn't really noticed that until, until recently. So that just shows me that subconsciously we are seeking out the patterns and the colors and the smells that have a deep emotional, you know, meaning for us. Yeah. So I think also, you know, inviting our kids to be part of this process is is huge because they are already masters at creating homes if you if you think about you know the feathers the sticks the rocks the nests all the things they collect in nature and they bring in i think that is them building tiny altars in our home and and trying to make it a home right they're sort of like little birds just just <laughs> collecting little things to create a beautiful warmness. Mm -hmm. Yeah, they're really clever like that. I think when you were speaking, I thought of something I learned actually quite later on when I was doing my Waldorf teacher training about how they furnish a, a early childhood classroom. And I wasn't really conscious of it, even though I saw that there were beautiful things like sheepskins, there were seashells, there's often wooden blocks there's silks. And a teacher pointed out to me that all of the materials in a Waldorf classroom, yes, they're natural. Yes, they're they're biodegradable. They come to, uh, from nature. But what is really beautiful about them and brings them depth is that they were all ensouled, is the, the word that she used. So they, at one point, other than maybe the stones, if, depending on your belief system, but many like animist cultures would believe that the stones mm -hmm. and the rocks and crystals also yeah. have a soul in a way, but they were living things and it brings this like beauty and warmth to the room. So I love, love that concept. And I kind of, I think that's what inspires me when I'm creating little nooks and tweaking our rooms and trying to create more more warmth and love in the home. And then speaking of, of I nature. I think it's also a, oh, liber yeah. a liberating. Sorry, go ahead. No, it, I was just saying, you know, I think it's also really liberating if you come to that place because you'll also realize that a lot of the things that are connected to our emotions are very inexpensive because you may just bring in a branch with you know, beautiful blossoms. Mm. So nature and stillness are powerful sources of rejuvenation, I found. But I also found, especially when my children were young, that I really had to like find this energy within myself to get outside because not only if it was really cold, then we had to dress them all. And there was, there was a whole process with that transition, but also 
as a mom with so many domestic tasks inside to kind of juggle uh, meal planning and laundry and all those different things, I always had an excuse in my head for why I couldn't get outside with my kids. But every time I went out, I was just so glad that I did because it it just rejuvenated me. So can you speak a little bit about maybe how parents can get outside more with their children and why it is so deeply nourishing in your opinion? Yeah. So I hear all of what you said. It's feelings that I've shared so many times, but in the end of the day, you just need to go, (laughs) you know, just go outside. And, and even as you go through all that trouble of getting everybody dressed, just always, you know, just remember that what awaits at the other side of this logistical hassle is always worth it. Always. Like in my book, I wrote that returning to nature is honey. Mm. And I mean that, you know, being outside, turning to Mother Earth for comfort is such a deep feeling of support. I hold my children all day, right? Physically, I hold them. Emotionally, I hold them. But out there in nature, I am the one who's being held. Like I truly feel that in every cell of my body. And I think it's just easier to be a mother out there in in nature, in the wild. You know, first of all, the kids can run a lot more freely. There's these restrictions that we have in enclosed spaces, mostly fall away. And I don't know, there's just something about the wind blowing away the clouds right off my mind. It's Every time I have a really hard day, just getting out there is is just the best. And, you know, I, I do think there's some things that you can do to make it not quite so hard on yourself. Like one is definitely just to have the appropriate clothing handy, a rain suit, a wool suit, um, or a woolen base layer, a good set of shoes. Like in my household, we're quite minimalists, but I always make sure they have, you know, a decent outside clothing and and layering. And often, like even right now, so my daughter, she only has one pair of shoes and I spend all my money just getting one good pair of boots that she can kind of wear in any weather and any temperature throughout these colder months. Mm. It, I don't think it, it takes too many things to be prepared for all weather as long as, you know, you just, you know, like I personally, I just make a list in the fall and then I just go out and see what I can find in the thrift store. And, you know, here in Oklahoma, the the wind can be really cutting in the colder months. So mm-hmm. I brought home this, this cream. It's from Veleda and it's called Wind and Weather Balm. And I'm pretty sure it's available here, definitely online, if not in stores. Mm-hmm. And I put it on our, onto our faces. It's a really thick cream made with um, beeswax. And so when we go outside, you know, walking or sledding or ice skating or anything like that, it really keeps our cheeks nice and warm and we are being very protected from being windswept. And I've noticed for us that makes all the difference. And I, we, we often choke so much because me and my kids and their little gnome heads will be outside in the cold wind and we're the only ones. And I always wonder if if people will peek at us behind curtains and are like, are these people crazy? <laughs> but but really our cheeks just feel so nice and cozy because we have this wind and weather bomb on. Mm. So, you know, it doesn't have to be complicated. I think often we have this 
notion that nature has to be this big adventure, but seeking nature, you know, that can be a walk through your neighborhood. It can be, you know, finding a local garden, a public garden, or just even taking a bike ride through a tree-lined alley if you live in the city, or, you know, putting on a blanket in the park and have your kids play. If you're out in the country, I think, you know, going out into nature might be more easy, but I think nature welcomes us with open arms wherever we live. Mm -hmm. Yeah. When we've lived in many different environments, my children were born in Australia, in the city. And when we lived in just a little apartment, I used to take my, he's 50 now, but he was two at the time. And then I had a newborn and we just walk around the block and he would always find nature treasures just in the heart of the city by just being outside with looking at little gardens and lawns and whatever it was. And that was such medicine for him at two years old, being able to get out and move his body like that every morning. Uh, and it was a really nice mental break for me. Uh, and I yeah, love and that. That Oh no, go ahead. Like often, right? We say go out into nature but arguably nature is already at our doorsteps. And one thing that has really, I guess, helped me a lot this spring, I somebody had posted on Instagram that, you know, nature for them looks like their little city balcony. And I was mm -hmm. like, oh, you know, I live in the city and, and we have a little enclosed, like we have a little patio outside and the kids love playing there. But I always felt that Oh, you know, in order for them to play there, I have to be with, with them because my little one is quite small. And so then I just, I'm just out there and, you know, it's silly just saying it out loud, but I guess I felt like I'm losing out on time that I could spend with, with, I guess, doing things that have to be done. Mm -hmm. And so this spring, I just started bringing everything outside. Like I would bring my laundry baskets outside and little, you know, handiwork that needed to be done or shoes that needed to be clean or just little tasks like that. I just brought it all out on the patio and did that, you know, in the, in the fresh open air while my kids were playing. And I thought that made a, made a huge difference um, mm -hmm. for us this year. Yeah. I love that. I fold laundry outside as soon as it's warm enough in the spring. It's just so nice to get outside in the, the sunshine. Now you offer retreats for mothers. I'd love for you to describe a little bit or just, just explain a little bit more about what those retreats are like and helping mothers slow down and come back to themselves. And then, so then people can learn more about your work. And if they're interested, can reach out to you about uh, coming to a retreat, but also those who, for whatever reasons, possibly can't come to a retreat in this season of life, do you have any tips or advice about how they can kind of bring those concepts that you have at a retreat into their own home and just give themselves these like little micro doses of like self-care and nourishment? Yeah. So me, my friends and doula and chef Rachel Hollinger, we have created retreats called The Pause. And to be honest, they were born out of our own need and want to get away for a few days and to just have a safe space and time and support to, yeah, we call it return to ourselves because I think all of us, you know, we, it can be very easy to lose ourselves a little bit in the daily grind of, of motherhood. And so, yeah, what's at the, at the core of our retreats, <clears throat> excuse me. 
we wanted to change the narrative that in order to be a good mother, it means that we have to give up on ourselves or, you know, this martyr mom myth mm. and, and that, you know, the world just crumbles in your family if mom steps out for a few days. And so at these retreats, we just create a, a beautiful, beautiful space with lots of time to rest. And Rachel makes amazing, nourishing food. I do breath work and meditation and offer gentle coaching sessions. And then, of course, the magic that unfolds when women come together and sit in circle together. I mean, there's there's really nothing like it. We have created, I would say, a very elevated but very grounded experience all at the same time. And I do think some of these things can be integrated into your everyday. And for example, I think you could take naps and make them a priority. You know, like I am personally very prone to work through nap time with my creative work, but, you know, actually making rest a priority has been ultimately paying me back in my creative work as well. Um, you could also focus, for example, on feeding yourself beautifully, right? And not just your kids. I think so many mothers spend so much time planning out and thinking about what their kids will eat and that they have a really balanced diet. And then we're just, you know, in the kitchen eating leftovers or, you know, just quickly throwing food down instead of making the extra time to really nourish ourselves in a beautiful manner. And, and that could look like, you know, after your kids are done with their, with their oatmeal, you go and reheat your own per portion and you add like, edible flowers or bee pollen or, you know, some decadent whipped cream. I mean, whatever it is that, that speaks to you and that brings you that comfort and then enjoy it with time, right? I think as mothers, we often just forget to take time for ourselves. And I don't mean this in a, in a leave everything behind sort of way, but, you know, your kids will be okay playing while you enjoy your food intensely for a couple of minutes. Mm -hmm. The other thing is, you know, you could learn um, some breathwork exercises. I really also think that working with a therapist or a coach is a beautiful way to practice self-care for mothers. And as a matter of fact, you can get in touch <laughs> with me about that as well. I love um, doing gentle coaching with mothers about how to transform their home. But I, I think the biggest thing of all is just to have a mindset shift from oh, I don't have time for this or I don't have time for that too. Oh, no, I matter. And my kids actually deserve to see me do the things that give me strength and that give me joy and that, that balance me. Because motherhood is not just about loving them well. It's about teaching them how to love themselves well. And I think we do that by loving ourselves well. Yeah. I As like a tiny little nourishing tip, I recently, because it, you know we're in late, autumn going into winter right now. And we have a lot of beautiful pumpkins and squashes, things like that on the counter. And they seem a little bit overwhelming to prep and make. But recently in the morning, while we're having breakfast, I usually just have like a squash, uh, a really small pumpkin, and I just put it in the oven and bake it. And that is like the 
the skeleton for my lunch later on. And even if the kids aren't going to have the roast pumpkin with me and they're going to have something a little bit more simple, and I don't know, but my kids just don't love pumpkin, but I love it. (laughs) It's been such a simple thing, like a tiny little habit. And it feels so nourishing for me. And I agree too with bee pollen. There's something about it because it's so beautiful when you sprinkle it on your meals and you just take that extra care in making your meal beautiful. It's like, it's, it feels like self-love, like you're doing this, this beautiful kind act for yourself and it feels more nourishing. And I think it, for me too, it encourages me to slow down and eat a little more mindfully when I present my food in that, just take like a little bit extra time to present it beautifully. So I really agree with that as a form of self-care. Yeah, Megan, I just have to say, I think your whole life sounds super dreamy. I mean, the way you describe your location and, you know, kind of living a little bit more remote and then even the picture you just painted, I think that is so cozy and lovely and roasting pumpkin. I mean, not only is it a beautiful lunch for you, but I can just imagine the smells right all morning in your kitchen that that in itself is such a warm beautiful addition to the morning. Mm-hmm. And the thing, the thing with bee pollen, I don't know what it is about it. You know, of course it's, you know, the nutritional value is there. And especially now in the colder months, you know, it's great for our immune support. But I think there's something about knowing that these beautiful creatures worked so hard on this magic that makes it really like a like a treasure. And so adding it to my food just always makes me feel like, you know, I'm truly connecting with nature here, but I'm also really just showing gratitude to nature in that way. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's so beautiful. Yeah. I, I could come up with so many ways just in the past few years where I've started to understand how important it is not only to to nourish my my children, but to nourish myself. And I understood that, you know, I, I understood that by concept in the past, but I've really started to live and breathe it the past few years. And I think it's transformed uh, our home and the way that my children see me and my and and what like like what a mother is. And I think I didn't mean to when they were younger and I had the greatest intentions to provide this really rhythmic, beautiful childhood for them. But I think some of what I modeled was this like selflessness and this, this like that martyr, that mother martyr. And I really have made an effort more and more as they get older to model something just a little bit different, just to, to tweak that narrative a little bit more. And I think it's, it's not just serving me, it's serving everyone. Yeah, I agree. And so the last question that I ask uh, everyone on the podcast is, what is one routine or rhythm or ritual, something that is uh, nourishing and serving you in some way right now in your life? It can be can be a, a big thing that happens every day or just a, you know, maybe a seasonal ritual. Yeah. Oh, where to start? <laughs> I... If I would have to just say one thing that I love during this time of year, it's singing together. Mm. Um, now, we always sing a meal blessing song um, at the dinner table. 
Now we're we're spiritual, but we're not particularly religious. However, I did grow up Catholic in Germany. And so around this time of year, I bring out all the old Christmas songs and we make time in the evening right before the kids go to bed to sing a couple of them together. You know, we sing some of the American songs and some of the the German songs. And, you know, a lot of the songs that people here know the English version of, we sing in the original version. Mm-hmm. And I think it's so restoring because there's so many amazing lyrics in these old Christmas songs about home and love and hope mm-hmm. and and light and also what it means to be in winter, right? Like both physically and metaphorically. Mm-hmm. And so I, I just noticed for myself that when I actually really like let these words kind of ring through me. Like, I don't know, there's something so peaceful about Christmas carols and I'm not a great singer. I, I honestly, I'm probably pretty terrible, but my husband is a great singer. And so he can, he just kind of, you know, has the oomph behind it. But even if you feel self-conscious about singing, I think just try it. I think it's so much fun for the kids mm. and, you know, everyone's so like, excited about who's get who gets to pick the next song and it's just a moment of connection and it's simple you you need nothing right nowadays you can just you can print out lyrics or you can just look up lyrics on your phone and then just start Mm -hmm. you you could start tonight without any other preparation and I think singing together especially around Christmas time is just the most beautiful ritual that we do and in recent years so my husband, apparently in his childhood, they went out in the Christmas caroling in the community. And that's one of his fondest and, and most cherished childhood uh, moments. Mm-hmm. And so in recent years, sometimes we would walk over to to neighbors that we like or friends and just surprise them and singing at their doorsteps and, you know, bringing some mold wine or some Christmas cookies along. And that has always also been like so well received. And has really then brought in that community aspect because people just don't expect it nowadays that someone's going to knock at your door and then start singing. But I don't know. It's it's really wonderful. Oh my gosh. I love that. I wish that you lived close and you could be knocking at my door. <laughs> <laughs> I think I have a few childhood memories of carolers coming to our door and it was so beautiful. And singing for sure is, is one of my favorite, favorite rituals. Um, my children all love singing, but we haven't been like gathering like that and singing together recently, other than car rides, a lot of like (laughs) more singing along with music in the car, which is is another type of beautiful, but I'd love to bring that in. And I know I said that was the last question, but I was curious, you said some of the songs that you sing are in German and that you have that German heritage. It just made me think of bringing, if a child comes from a family where there are other cultural traditions and like another language, it's a, it is almost another type of who I'm going to pronounce it wrong again, Huga. Like it's this soul warmth of bringing that tradition into your home. So I was wondering, do you consciously bring German traditions and the language and everything to your children? Is it something that's important to your family? So all my kids well, so my son, who has special needs, he's he's almost nonverbal. He has a couple of words at age six, but 
these words are both English and German. And then my daughter is fluent. And so we are a wild mix of language and culture in this home. Mm-hmm. And it's not something that I, you know, one day after holding my babies, I sit back and I was like, okay, how can we do this? It's more so, you know, going back to like, what is it that, what is home? Mm. I mean, for me, my, like where I grew up, my language, my traditions, that is, that is my bones, right? So they're, they're my, I live here. I live the way I do. It it just comes through me mm. without thinking. And I, yeah, I think it is beautiful. And I think my traditions will live on through my kids, mm. but also differently, right? Because there is also, you know, their American heritage. And so it's actually been really a fun process watching what resonates with each child mm. and what they, you know, how they run with it. Like my daughter, for example, she wants nothing to do with Santa Claus. She's all about this German Christmas angel magic. But then my son is all about Santa Claus and, and then, you know, all these different, different things. Yeah. It's chaotic at times and it's, it's wonderful most mm. of the time. Yeah. Yeah. It is. There is so much beauty in creating our own family traditions and taking what was given to us and then bringing our own intentionality and unique flair to it. Yeah. I think we're in such a great time where we're finally allowing ourselves to take what works and to leave the rest behind and then make our own beautiful thing. I think that's something that, you know, my parents maybe felt more restricted to do, whereas, you know, I can just freely say, no, I don't want this, but, you know, instead we're choosing to celebrate this way. And I think that's so wonderful. That's such a big opportunity for, for us as young families nowadays to just, to really make it align with our values. Yeah. Yeah. Well, thank you so much, Ava, for being here and sharing your wisdom on slow living, creativity, and self-care. I will put in the show notes all the information so people can find you and follow along. It's been a pleasure having you. Thank you, Megan. I really appreciate it. Thank you so much for tuning in to this episode. If you found it inspiring or helpful, please share it with friends and family or subscribe. If you're looking for information and inspiration, head to MeganRoseWilson.com. Hey, one more thing, the fine details. I hope you found today's episode informative and enjoyable. The Rhythm Routine and Reverence podcast and content posted by Megan Rose Wilson are presented solely for general informational, educational, and entertainment purposes. The information shared here should not be considered a substitute for professional medical, health, or legal advice. The use of information on this podcast or materials linked to the podcast or website is used at the user's own risk. Listeners should not disregard or delay in obtaining medical advice and consulting with their own trusted and qualified healthcare professionals, physicians, psychotherapists, or other experts. The views and opinions expressed expressed by our guests are their own and do not necessarily reflect the views of Rhythm Routine and Reverence or its host, Megan Rose Wilson. We do our best to provide accurate and up-to-date information, but we make no representations or warranties of any kind express or implied about the completeness, accuracy, reliability, or suitability of the information discussed in this podcast. By listening to this podcast, you acknowledge and agree that Rhythm Routine and Reverence and its hosts, guests, and producers will not be held responsible for any consequences or actions taken as a result of the information presented in this show.